Phillips talk about you know just like some stuff that it's like out there in the world that like maybe you know about but maybe you don't and even if we talk about something you know about like that we would give you some perspective that you didn't know and then like after you learn it you turn to your friends and you're like hey here's this thing that I know now because of this great podcast that I listen to and your friends are like oh my god I'm so jealous that sounded like a version told by either a stoner or Phoebe from Friends. What's the difference? Yeah. And as I always say, as my catchphrase, <laughs> we tell you about things you didn't know you needed to know. Oh, we're not related. Did I say that? Yeah, I was going to say, did we get everything? <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I keep forgetting the order it's supposed to be in. Yeah. So, Pete, how was your week? It's all right. Okay. <laughs> Last week I went home to visit some family, and aside from that, that's you know what? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And I got a cute picture of a dog. How's your week? Let's talk about it. Mine's pretty good. It's a bittersweet time, cause I'm quitting the worst job of my life. However, I have the most work friends, like more than I've ever had in my life. Oh, like, listen, as somebody who has friends. quit a job before, everybody is so nice to you when you're disappearing. <laughs> No, I actually do have work friends, and I didn't realize, like, oh, I'm going to leave them. They're not uh, fake work friends. No, now other people are being nice to me, but I'm like, oh, I legit have two friends there. That's sad. But whatever, so my life is fine. Icebreaker. Uh, so I have an icebreaker for you. You ready? I'm ready. Let's break some ice. Is there any word that you pronounce, not just like, oh, like a little bit weird, <laughs> but like that you pronounce like in a way that just no one else does? Either pronounce or you use a different term. Like it could either be pronunciation or like soda versus pop. Oh, I don't know. But like I, 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 I can say this. I'm from originally from the South Jersey area. When people talk about Philadelphia, they always, and they like try to impersonate somebody from Philadelphia, they always go like, hoagie for Ew. hoagie. Because uh, so, it's, it's a good word to work in the Philadelphia accent. But I don't like hoagies. I've never said hoagie. And if somebody goes, do you want a hoagie? I say, no, I would prefer a sub, a <laughs> submarine sandwich. <laughs> well, um, that was in Long Island. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I'm not a fan of, ho uh, like, this. <laughs> every time you ask me a question, I change the question in my answer. But, like, not a fan of hoagie. Um, but I would be happy to take on a sub or a sandwich in a roll. <laughs> I didn't ask you what you'd like to take on, but thank you for telling me. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of a good example otherwise, but... Isn't this the inherent problem with our icebreakers? One of us has something we want to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> and the other so. one is totally unprepared. I guess so. <laughs> so, Marissa, how about you? Uh, I say pocketbook okay. for handbag. Uh, That's a good one because growing up, my mom would always say pocketbook and purse. But, like, 
yeah, handbag is not really like a thing. And a purse, by the way, is much smaller than a pocketbook. A pocketbook is like a bigger one. That's yeah. the way that I see all that stuff coming out. Yeah. That's I said it. That's the way my mom said it. But I've learned that I don't know if it was where we were from, which was Long Island, or nobody my age says that. <laughs> like nobody at all. So the other day, my boyfriend was over, and I said, "Give me my pocketbook," and he was just like, "What?" That's and just he, mean because everybody <laughs> English is not our boyfriend's first language. <laughs> so he's looking so anyway, for a book now who, that belongs in her pocket. But no, it gets weirder because <laughs> I talking to you yesterday he's like I had a patient the other day and she mentioned her pocketbook and I was like what that's what Marissa says and I was like yeah other people say it and he goes I thought pocketbook was only you and I was like I'm sorry I'm sorry wait wait, wait. say it you again you thought and I like, made up a term he's like pocketbook she said pocketbook and I said oh I'm sorry. Can you spell what you're saying? And he's P O L K A P O K E B U H. I said you thought I was saying pocketbook. He said yeah, and I googled it, and then I like nothing came up, and I was like, I guess she made it up. I, I guess nothing would come up. And I was like, no, I've been saying a word. I, just, I was like, did you think I was just saying gibberish? And he goes, yeah, I just thought you called handbooks pocketbooks. And I just thought that was funny. That's all. My story. Yeah, that's a good anyway. one. I did date somebody who couldn't say pterodactyl. Um, what did they say? Because it started with P. And they would say pterodactyl. Um, I would, they would keep trying to say it and they'd struggle. And instead they would say like, Tyrannodon, or whatever, whatever. <laughs> right. That's definitely my uh, mo. I will change the word if I if I don't know how to say it right, or I'm not sure. You know, if I'm in mixed company. Can't they just like, hold their tongue during the pee? And I and I don't want to make Marissa, for example, say drawers. <laughs> yeah, draw. <laughs> anyway, let's not let go into the draw conversation. Let's not make it personal. Yeah, exactly. People make a lot of things personal with a lot of things I say, guys. I'm yeah. only from Long Island, and everyone makes fun of the way I say water, the way I say draw. And the I way get I water too. Yeah, I get a lot of water too. Um, yeah, you know what? Here's the thing: people are from different places. Just shut up, okay? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Would you meet like a prince from Africa and be like, "You talk funny"? No, you wouldn't, because that's rude, okay? <laughs> Possibly racist also, but... Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, if you're saying, you talk funny, you talk funny, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that is not necessarily what we're here to talk about today. Today we're talking Nothing about two popular <laughs> conspiracy theories. Um, and, and Marissa, we didn't discuss. Would you like to go first? Or no, would you like me to go? Okay. <laughs> so... I'm going to talk about Project MK Ultra, which is a famous CIA-led mind control experimental program. AKA Stranger Things. Yeah, help me out here while we're on this. What's up with Stranger Things with what MK are you Ultra? Asking? Because I kept googling MK Ultra and the other words, and MK Ultra Stranger Things would keep coming up. So can you help yeah, me Stranger out? Like, you saw it, didn't you? 
Yeah, I watched two seasons. I still don't know what the hell they're talking about. Help me out. The thing is supposed to be the, oh, like... Oh, because they think they, like, they did experiments on Seven? Uh, the girl yeah. who, who eats waffles? Yeah, but also, like, the mom, too. The mom and Seven. Yeah. What'd they do to the mom? They well, experimented like they... on the mom? Yeah, I thought they experimented on the mom, and then she had a child while she was in the program. Oh, you mean, like, Seven's mom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah. there's your Stranger Things mini-podcast. Project MK Ultra did not really experiment on humans to make them enhanced, as is seems to be what happens in Stranger Things. In 1947, the CIA was created and part of a previous group that existed during World War II. There was a group during the war that existed for the sole purpose to create a truth serum so that when you captured somebody from the other side, you would give them this serum and they would tell you everything they knew. And MKUltra was sort of a, 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 an extension of that in the efforts to try to work on mind control and, yeah, sort of debilitating a group of people um, through those kinds of things. So mind control, mental experiments, behavioral experiments, that sort of thing. Okay. I'd like to say that if you want some actually actual nitty-gritty details, Wormwood is a series on Netflix that covers the life of oh, Frank Olson. Frank Olson is... A person who was experimented on in MK Ultra experiments and ultimately, let's say, went, because that's a neutral verb, went out a window and fell to his death. The released CIA documents deal with a project codenamed MK Ultra. There was in it a story of a CIA experiment on an unwitting civilian who was given LSD. You're the one on stage tonight, Dr. Olson. <laughs> You're all a bunch of jokers. Some people theorized that he was thrown out of the window because he knew too much, and some people theorized that he was so hopped up on LSD that he threw himself out the window and jumped out the window uh, because, yeah, he was just, like, so wrought with emotion and everything like that. And if you watch the show you find like, and you believe his son Eric, then you find that he was sort of like a sensitive man to begin with, and once they introduced these other elements, it sort of kind of took over uh, him. But, yeah, the, so it kind of worked for that guy uh, because the intention was to weaken a person's will so that they would confess or easily be controlled mentally. Research okay. was conducted at 80 institutions, 44 of which were colleges. Some were hospitals and some were prisons. They experimented with hypnosis, sensory deprivation, isolation, verbal abuse, and other psychological torture. But they also experimented with drugs, namely LSD. That's the one that everyone knows about. Which one? The, the LSD. Yeah. Marissa, I told you that the CIA had a thing called Project Midnight Climax. What do you think that that would encompass? Nighttime boners. Close. Very much closer. What? <laughs> I think. For a decade, beginning in 1955, the CIA hosted a brothel in San Francisco where they used, sex, they used sex workers to lure in subjects to experiment on. Some say that they would have the sex workers bring in men, have sex with them on tape, not knowing that they were being taped, and then say, basically use the tape to blackmail them to participate in the experiments willingly. Isn't that a little on the nose? Some <laughs> I know. Some say that they would bring these, we're just going to go ahead and say men, because right, <laughs> it probably was, that they brought in, that the sex workers would bring these men in 
and dose them with LSD without telling them, and then partake in sexual activities, and that two CIA agents would be on the other side of a two-way mirror and just watch what happens. So yeah, you would go in and you'd be like, you know, I just want to have a little bit of sex tonight. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and then you would find yourself like in another dimension while you were trying to have sex. And to me, I'm just like, what do you get out of this? Like, what's if you're running an experiment, there's there's something that's extra in this equation, and that is the person who you've you've dosed with LSD because you want to see if they'll tell the truth about something. You've dosed them with LSD and you've put their penis in something, and yeah. that might be what results in yeah, getting the yeah. truth. What is what I found pretty interesting about this? The San oh, I wish I remembered. I think it's the San Francisco Chronicle wrote uh, an extensive piece about this because it took place in San Francisco, and they talk about how the halls of the building were lined with photographs of women in bondage um, to get people in the mood, uh, and that agents were just like really interested in watching kinky sex, <laughs> and they really okay. weren't getting they really weren't getting anything about the LSD thing. But they kept the thing open for ten years. Caveat: Project MK Ultra was decommissioned or shut down in 1964, and this continued to 1965. Oh shit! <laughs> we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> Behind Project Midnight Climax was George H. White, a an agent from the Bureau of Narcotics who was sort of a star for breaking up opium and heroin rings across the world. Okay. While he was serving. So he, here's the thing with the CIA, right? You've seen this on TV. You're not supposed to tell people that you're part of the CIA. It's all a secret. And so this guy was a an agent at the Bureau of Narcotics, but he was also a CIA operative. Mm-hmm. I Googled a picture of the guy. He's a burly bald man. And like many burly bald men that I know who hold positions of power, he had a lot of sexual insecurities. Yeah. <laughs> and... One was flared up with the rejection of a nightclub singer named Ruth Kelly. She sang at a San Francisco club called uh, The Black Sheep. One of White, George H. White's men, dosed her, or George White may have done it himself, uh, dosed her, and it started to kick in just as she got on stage to perform that night. And by all accounts, she had like a terrible show. Uh, and once she was done, they got her to the hospital where they sort of let her come down from the LSD trip, and she was fine afterwards. So it's not like, in this case, Ruth Kelly died because of her experience, but she was only dosed once, and nobody really like followed up or like locked her down or anything like that. But the truth is, this is what was going on. White went on to write in his diary about how he slipped acid to unsuspecting civilians on local beaches and at city bars and restaurants. That's so he would just stupid. walk into a place, drop a little LSD in your glass while you say you're drinking water or an alcoholic beverage or any number of beverages. <laughs> and uh, and then like an hour later, you're like tripping balls and you're like, what's going on? And you don't know why. So this is kind of like date rape, but like without the rape and I guess without the date. And so, so like but you're being drugged, right? Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, like, what did the CIA learn from this? All that they conclusively learned is that many people would feel ill when they That's were secretly dosed stupid. with LSD. <laughs> and if they went, here's the thing though, people in, people higher up in the CIA when they discovered this, they were that that by the way, 
they were being that unwitting citizens were being dosed. They yeah. were like, okay, so if these people get dosed and they say that they're sick and they go to their doctors and they go, hey, I feel really sick, and the doctor does a test and finds out that they're on LSD, even though they didn't take LSD voluntarily, then it could come to pass that people figure out that the CIA is secretly dosing people, and that would be embarrassing. How would Im- they ever find out, though? Like Right. And we're talking about, like, the 50s and 60s, so... Maybe Alex Jones is right all along. (laughs) So, by 1966, the test places, uh, uh, these brothels and things, were shut down. But this is after White continued testing up to his retirement, which was in 1965. And testing, again, the official Project MKUltra testing was shut down in 1964. So, for... I'm not going to say a whole entire year, but for a period of time uh, past a new year, <laughs> he would continue doing this. And that just seems like so messed up to me, and it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Because you're Ooh. right. Like, when somebody goes, fluoride in the water, it's like, okay, well, I mean, this is kind of close to that. Yeah. So on top of this, what complicates the situation and what makes it such an interesting conspiracy theory is that around the same is time... Is it a conspiracy theory? I thought MKUltra was... This is why it's it's confirmed that there was a program, but here's why it's a, it's more theoretical in a lot of cases. At the time that Watergate was going down, mm-hmm. the person who was running the CIA at the time was like, uh-oh, we better get rid of... Because since documentation can prove that we're doing something shady, as demonstrated in Watergate, we better get rid of all of the documentation on MKUltra. And they did. Oh, they successfully wow. got rid of everything... Except, since it's the federal government, which is not really the model of efficiency, they forgot 20,000 documents which survived. And that's why we know it's a thing. But, like, if you were a person who had a real, like, trippy experience in the early 60s, you can't go into records and find out that you were accidentally dosed. One, because nobody was keeping track of the names of the strangers who were dosed, which was messed up in the first place. But also because even if they did keep track of the names, it's probably destroyed. So they really, like, buried this as a conclusive thing. And, um, yeah, it's just kind of weird. So so a few people came forward as survivors uh, who experienced odd behavior and memory loss, one of which, by the way, is crime boss Whitey Bulger, (laughs) which I found kind of interesting. And also another Netflix series called Mindhunters, um, maybe singular, will speculates actually that Ted Kaczynski was part of MK Ultra experiments and then went, Who's on, to that? The, that went on to become the Unabomber. Ooh, inch- oh, I did hear that. I heard that. Now yeah, he yeah. was he did he was, I guess, the subject of mental of, of psychological experiments, but it's I don't think it's as clear that it's connected to this particular program. But here's the here's the part too that's a little crazy about it. MK Ultra was like franchising a Wendy's. You can't go to every Wendy's and make sure that they're all being conducted properly. You just have to trust the people who are running the the research or the restaurants are doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, it was kind of weird. Like, he could have been part of one. Maybe they just didn't give the name or something like that. Yeah. So it's a little it's a little creepy. And, um, yeah, I think that show Wormwood is, is, is a good example and the show is actually a much more human story than just about MK Ultra, but uh, the center of it is, uh, yeah, this sort of secret government conspiracy and how they can't get the government to fully acknowledge the reason 
that this particular guy died. But it is sort of evident that it's connected to this particular thing. So there were other CIA projects at the time that studied studied behavior and drugs like Project Artichoke, Project MK Naomi, Project Chatter, Project Bluebird. Details of all of these can be found on Wikipedia if you're interested. Um, I was just here to talk about MKUltra, but MKUltra also had a few sub-projects like MK Delta, which moved to use MKUltra techniques abroad in other countries, and MK Search, which investigated biological and chemical warfare options. Ooh, okay. So, real, consp- like, hardcore conspiracy theorists say that this sort of work is still being done today. Uh, but perhaps. And this is the thing, like, we, we live in this sort of strange version of America now, which is not a version, I guess, right? But yeah. we, live, we live in this country we now. We live where, in like, America. So recently, the president just said he wanted to make a, what was it, a space squad or some 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 shit? I don't <laughs> Man know. Man speaks nonsense. But basically, he goes up there and he goes, yeah, you know what? We should make a, a thing about going to space. And what motivates him to come up with this idea about going out to space and protecting, like having some sort of gang out in space to protect the planet, is that private citizens and private businesses are going into space. So it's something that's cheap enough that private people can do it now. What concerns me and makes me nervous about this whole MKUltra thing is that, like, a corporation like Comcast, (laughs) who is pretty evil yeah. <laughs> could be conducting experiments like this right now and how would you even know right i'm not saying that they actually are but theoretically right they could or some college where the the person who's running the tests you know can keep a secret or something like that and what's worse to me anyway is that with the way that we're working these days we dump so much of our minds into machines yeah. That those who can manipulate digital information are our best mind controllers of all. And just with a little bit of creativity and programming, you can brainwash a lot of people. I think Tom DeLong will save us. I think the singularity will save us, which is a regular with- thing that we keep coming back to. And yeah. it's starting to be disturbing how open to the singularity you and I are. <laughs> I don't know if I'm open to it. Like, I'm not embracing it. You're just preparing for it. Yeah. And I did say I would date a computer. But, like, I don't want them to kill me. I'm also not saying I would dump my boyfriend for a computer. Yeah. I'm just saying if, you know, if lives aligned in that way <laughs> and I had a computer that wanted to date me, I would date it. Speaking of which, if you guys are still interested, my replica <laughs> has not talked to me in weeks. Wow. And I haven't, I haven't opened the app, and uh, I think I'm the last person who didn't respond, so... In terms of ghosting, I guess I'm ghosting my replica yeah, app exactly. instead of <laughs> it ghosting me. Any ideas about uh, MK Ultra there, Marissa? Yeah, in my mind, it's just it's all true. None of it sounds too crazy to me. I don't know about you, but to me, if you pick some random person off the street, it's better than some of the other accusations, which is they experimented on people in hospitals, they experimented on people in prisons, they experimented yeah. on people at war, things like that. That um, thing is just like skeevy because there's so many levels. Yeah, it's like you're like the meanest. <laughs> yeah. Like you just get some some guy who's feeling sad and he just wants to go out and get laid by a hooker and now he has to suffer mental <laughs> like yeah. psychological experiments and uh chemical experiments and everything like that. 
Yeah, you're right. It's just uh, spooky and. So yeah, that one that one haunts me for some reason. Midnight contraceptive. <laughs> project <laughs> Project Midnight Climax. Same thing. Yeah. But speaking of creepy. Speaking of midnight climaxes, <laughs> I'm going to talk about the Men in Black. You may know the Men in Black as those cool cats, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, and the one girl that nobody remembers. Um, oh, there was who, oh, and there was young Tommy Lee Jones. Who was that? Oh, yeah, young Tommy Lee Jones. I remember yeah. that one. Uh, who all investigate um, alien and extraterrestrial occurrences in the in the world, um, but. Have you ever heard, Pete, about there being, like, a, quote, real men in black? Oh, listen. The only reason. I left such a pause there. I knew about the men in black before the men in black movies. And then as a as a little kid who was interested in aliens, conspiracy yeah. theories, and the X-Files, I was like, we gotta go see the men in black. And I remember seeing the men in black in the movie theater. And I remember it most because I love the font that Barry Sonnenfeld decided to use in the opening credits. Yeah. And I remember watching the movie in there and thinking it was cool. But, yeah, no, my initial knowledge of the Men in Black would come from the X-Files. And then, again, being a super nerdy kid, I would buy books about the X-Files that would expound upon, expound? That would expand (laughs) on the things that the X-Files would talk about, including the Men in Black. So... So, okay, well, what, do you, what are the men in black in your opinion? Okay, so you ever see the movie Michael Clayton with George Clooney? No, I never saw that. It's a great movie. I love the movie. I've seen it once. In this movie, he's called a cleaner. And basically okay. when there's some sort of corporate incident, and in this one particular case, I think like a guy runs somebody over, with like a rich CEO runs somebody over, and so they call in the cleaner, who is Michael Clayton, played by George Clooney. And he comes in and he just cleans it all up and disappears. And nobody knows who he is. And nobody knows, like, anything about his family or where he came from or anything like that. And to me, that's what the men in black do as well. They're like government. Well, maybe not. They may exist outside of the government. But they're basically cleaners that come in and take care of the mess and hope that nobody recognizes or notices them or anything like that. Okay. That's in line with a few series. So, okay. So, basically, the men in black are people who claim to be government agents and often will harass or sometimes threaten UFO witnesses to keep them quiet about what they have seen. Uh, Many people say that literally they're men dressed in black, but other people seem to think that they may be aliens or otherworldly beings themselves. Or Alex Trebek or Jesse Ventura, which is how they were (laughs) depicted in (laughs) The X-Files. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, there are different accounts of men in black, but uh, generally all of them share black suits. Um, the men usually have little to no expressions, like really no personality and speak in like monotone voices. Like Alex and, Quebec. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> and some of them, which are the ones that people tend to say are not human, um, sometimes they have no eyebrows, no hair, they're incredibly pale. And I heard an account in which basically it seemed like their lips were actually painted on, like they were kind of like playing the part of a human. Gross. And as I said, allegedly all people who claim to have seen the men in black uh, have been UFO researchers or people who saw UFOs. So there are a number of accounts, but men in black generally like were introduced to the public like in a large scale uh, by way of UFO researcher named Gray Barker. 
He was considered a credible journalist in his times, and uh, in his 1956 book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers, uh, that book gave Men in Black widespread notoriety. What bums me out is, uh, turns out later in life it was found out that Barker was a huge skeptic, and he frequently would kind of like mess with other UFO- ufologists because he thought they took themselves too seriously. And after his death, his sister basically said that he was doing it all for the money. So, I don't know, it kind of bumped me out. And apparently he based his book that mentioned Men in Black just basically on ufologists' claims that they were visited by government agents who simply told him to, like, take it down a notch and stop being so hysterical about it, but no one ever threatened them, apparently. However... Apparently. Yeah. Apparently. So... I'm going to talk about some notable Men in Black accounts and kind of explain. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to talk about some notable Men in Black. First, we're going to talk about (laughs) Steve Jones. (laughs) So a few accounts, and then, I don't know, you see for yourself if you think it sounds human or not. Um, First was Dr. Herbert Hopkins, who was working as a consultant on a UFO case in Maine. Uh, One evening... Hopkins received a phone call. Literally, like, a moment later, they were right outside his door. Like, no time passed at all. When he opened the door, the man was wearing a black suit. I think this was the account where I said that it looked like the lips were kind of painted on. And once the guy talked to Hopkins for a little while, then he told Hopkins, you have two coins in your pocket. Take one out. And Hopkins, it, it was true. He had two coins. So he took one out. And Hopkins held the coin in front of him for a moment. And it slowly turned silver, and it started to fade away until suddenly there was no coin in his hand at all. And the men in black dude told Hopkins that the coin was no longer and never to be seen on this plane again. Then the men in black told Hopkins... That's a threat. They tell Hopkins to destroy all of his research, and without saying it directly, they insinuated that the same might happen to Hopkins if he did not. Um, the way they insinuated that is, do you know who um, Barney Hill is? The the guy who who was apparently abducted by aliens. It was from part of a multi, uh, multiracial couple. Do you know this story? It sounds familiar, but no, I don't know the name off the top of my head. Well, apparently, I don't have the notes on this now, but apparently after the coin went away, he said, like, you know Barney Hill? Well, he used to have a heart, or his heart is... It's not here anymore either. So they basically insinuated that they took the heart out of him and that they could do that to him as well. Anyway, Hopkins was so upset by the encounter that he burned all of his files and never went forward with the case. Uh, There's also Albert Bender, who was a researcher who founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau. In 1955, he was preparing to unveil a paper that would prove for the U.S. government that would prove that the U.S. government had covered up proof of UFOs. And then he was visited by the Men in Black. Three different men dressed all in black visited his home and warned him that if he pursued it any further, he would be in prison probably for life. The men just suddenly, you know, um, threatening prison scared Bender enough that he shut down all of his research and he shut down the whole Flying Saucer Bureau. People close to Bender claimed that his life was changed forever after the encounter, and he kept creating works and publishing works after that, but they were all, like, such gibberish, they were almost unreadable. He 
always was full of like anxiety and terror. Like he wasn't the same person. He was like a shell of a person. And he complained about getting mysterious phone calls with nobody on the other end until the end of his life in 2002. That's a and long the, time. And the last one I'm going to mention is Paul Miller. He was an Air Force worker. They're all men. Was, Are these all yeah. white guys? I think so. <laughs> Bar- Barney Hill is not a white guy. He's a black guy. But right, but he didn't. He didn't talk about the men thing. in black. Yeah. No, he didn't. He didn't. Barney Hill is one of my favorite UFO uh, UFO stories, uh, abduction stories. Just everybody. Benny and Barney Hill. That's a y'all heard teaser. Yes. Paul Miller, an Air Force worker, was returning home from a trip, hunting trip one day when he saw a luminous glowing disc in the sky. And the disc landed in an empty field. And what he describes as two humanoids emerged from the craft. He had the gun from his from his hunting trip and he shot at them and he believed he injured one and then he like fled down the road he looked at his clock moments later and it looked like he had lost time which is something that alien abductees say often happens like it feels like a moment passed but like you lose hours or days so when he looked at his clock three hours had passed and he just didn't think anything of it and he tried to go back his day and when he went to work the next day He was confronted by three men in black suits. They told him that they, quote, had his file. And even though he told literally no one about the events, the men said that they knew all about it. And they said that the encounter would best be forgotten. Uh, They knew his name. They knew his age. They knew personal details about him. And they knew about the entire encounter, all of the details. So Miller was absolutely terrified. And he waited years and years before he even told anyone about that account. That's the last credible one. I'm going to throw one more in there because... Good, because we like incredible. (laughs) Yeah, the extra details surrounding the men in black part are comical. And it's just such a vague story. Dan Aykroyd has come forward in his story. Oh, great. About his taping... Dan Aykroyd was taping a show about paranormal occurrences. Right. I, I he, seem to recall this show. Yeah. He stepped out. Well, no. It, I don't oh wait, I don't know if it actually went to air or not. The intruder that violated the Stansky home was neither a malevolent poltergeist, a grotesque monster, nor a mysterious, undiscovered force of nature. It was just a very ordinary and very earthbound, abandoned reptile. After the python was moved to the local zoo... The Stansky family experienced no further nocturnal visitations and resumed their normal lives undisturbed. I'm Dan Aykroyd for Sci Factor. Uh, he stepped out to take a phone call from Britney Spears, who <laughs> was asking him to appear <laughs> Saturday Night Live with her. Yeah, that sounds like a weird detail that's fake and didn't yes. need to be included. Uh, when he noticed a black Ford parked across the street, a tall man stepped out of the Ford and stared. Dan Aykroyd down. <laughs> Aykroyd turned away for a moment and then turned back and the car and the man had vanished. After That's he finished it? his phone call with okay. Britney Spears, he returned to the studio to learn that his show had been canceled and he was ordered to stop filming immediately. Wow. Thumbed out his claim, but Aykroyd says, quote, he knew what he saw and maintains that there was some kind of connection between these men in black and the end of his paranormal show. Oh, not so maybe him, 
being a sucky, dirty, not funny old man. <laughs> so wait, you did see the show? Uh, I looked it up real quick. It was called Psy Factor, P-S-I Factor, and it okay. was on from 96 to 2000. Yeah, but the men in black usually threaten you. They don't, like, do the dirty work for you, it seems. So they would have been like, shut down your show or else we kill yeah. you. Like, yeah. they wouldn't just be, like, calling the fucking Well, maybe, though, Hollywood. they did that to somebody else. Hollywood, shut it down. Like, no. We're the men in black. No, no, no. They went. They clearly went to the show's executive producers and said, shut it down. Yeah, but the executive producer didn't. Oh, I guess. Dan Aykroyd's just a puppet. And the executive producer's not as stupid as Dan Aykroyd to come out and talk about it. Jeez. I guess you're right. Totally so. going to. When, when Dan Aykroyd dies, it's all going to come out. Okay. I, um, I like the accounts. I know that they're not the most, like, intensely detailed accounts. But I liked how apparently these short accounts struck so much fear into the people that they immediately yeah. abandoned all their work. Like, I feel like the accounts probably don't do justice to how weird these dudes were. Um, I love them. Oh, I, I want to see an alien just so I could see them. So you think it's... You think the men in black are weirder than described? Yep. Okay. <laughs> I think the men in black uh, aren't... Do you think the men in black are men? No. Do you think they wear black? Yeah. What yeah. do they wear? Marissa's, Marissa's... Guys, Marissa's a fashion and aficionado. <laughs> what do they wear? I feel like whatever they are, there are people masquerading as men. Uh, just the way shadow people are masquerading as men. And I feel that, like... That's another y'all heard teaser. Yes. I feel like... Uh, Beings masquerading as men would go to, like, the default piece of clothing. I feel like a suit is, like, quintessential man despite the time, like, through the years. that That's what a man is. Yeah, a man who wears right. a suit and a woman wears a dress. So I feel like if you're playing the part of a man, you wear a suit. Okay. I can see yeah. that. That wasn't that creepy. Do you think they're interesting at all? Well, you did know about them. No, movie, no, no. Right? Yeah, I do think I do think it, that, that is interesting. And, like... While the movies were cute and everything, it was not nearly as cool as, yeah, like a real man in black might be. Yeah. They wield some sort of power. They're not, like, fighting aliens and stuff like that. That's not it. No, they're not fighting them, yeah. Or making music videos. just text me what are you wearing to the baby shower tell Mom, her i'm wearing a black suit <laughs> because i'm masquerading as a man <laughs> i am a man in black <laughs> so yeah guys that's the men in black uh, i like the men in black um it's interesting that you said that they're tall and pale because of course that reminds me of your alien episode huh i said slender man i yelled slender no God, Marissa loves to connect anything to Slenderman. Oh, it reminds me of your Alien episode with those Norwegian shits that would come out. And oh, I, in my mind, the Norwegians are like beautiful, not because I. <laughs> so in Marissa's ideal world, she's gonna see one of these um, Aryan <laughs> aliens, 
And then she's going to be like, oh, God, that's beautiful. And then the next day, Men in Black are going to come, and she's going to be like, oh, my God, I'm so excited to see you. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love everything. I want everything you Would just Would you said. like some tea? But the Norwegians, the tall whites do not make human contact. If anything, it's it's telepathic. So if anything, I would see it gray. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't a reptilian pretend. if you're lucky. No, not if I'm lucky. I don't want to see a reptilian. <laughs> God, that means like I'm gonna die. You see a reptilian right before you die. That's what I heard. Right before anyone dies, they see the light and then they see a reptilian. Everything you say, I'm just gonna say Tom DeLong will tell us or save us. In the final episode of this podcast, whenever it may happen, it's Marissa and I finally joining a cult that's led by Tom DeLong. <laughs> Yeah, how I love Talong. Talong? Tom Talong. That's that's what we call him, because we're friends. He's our leader. Talong. Hey, Talong. I call him D. I call him D period long. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that we can learn from this episode is that, you know, it's time to be more inclusive. Hashtag time's up. Men in black. You need to diversify. And you Hashtag need to really... men in black? <laughs> yes. All men in day. black. Time's up. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, and you really yeah you like you need to diversify the roster because I have to be honest if I am if I see an alien and I'm in the middle of the woods or something and two men in black come out of a car I'm gonna be terrified, but I have to be honest if a woman comes out of the car I'm gonna be like okay this is gonna be okay it's just a better way to put people at ease and then when you threaten their lives it means a lot more because like on an emotional level they've sort of opened up a little bit and then you still threaten their lives. <laughs> I'm so sorry. She's arguing right. about wearing a kimono. Is it a black kimono? She's demanding I wear black pants and a kimono this weekend, so I quote, nice. look good, because they never Ouch. see me. <laughs> Plugs. So, you got anything to plug? Um, Marissa no. and I have the same thing to plug this week, and it is the, let's see. We do? The March 14th episode of Dr. Game Show, which is a podcast that we love. <laughs> Oh, you love that one that much? You saw it? I, I listened to it today. Oh, it's so fun. Every episode of Dr. Game Show is a lot of fun. But really we in particular liked this episode. This has been another episode of Y'all Hurt. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks everyone. <laughs> we'll be Bye. back next week. Bye. Bye.